Hello and welcome to this one-year anniversary edition of the Patient Empowerment Program. I'm Kira Deneen, one of the producers of this podcast. With the Patient Empowerment Program, and Lorem set out to build and connect with members of the NanoRare community. The podcast was launched in May of 2022 and is hosted by Enlorum founder, chairman, and CEO, Dr. Stan Crook. With 11 interviews, 13 intro to medical science episodes, and one community Q&A, Enlorum is fostering a community for nano-rare patients by supporting and empowering them as they navigate understanding their disease. The response to this podcast has been incredible, and our audience continues to grow each and every week. We appreciate our sponsors and partners whose support allows us to continue to produce and offer these important discussions within the nano-rare disease community. But the biggest thank you goes to you, the listener. Whether you're a patient, family member, physician, or supporter, thank you for supporting Enlorum and being part of our community. It really does take an entire village to do what we do here at Enlorum. So to celebrate one year, we've compiled the best clips from each of our interview episodes centered around the theme, It Takes a Rare Community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this one-year anniversary edition of the Patient Empowerment Program. Francis Sessions Cole III is a neonatologist, the Park J. White MD Professor of Pediatrics, and Professor of Cell Biology and Physiology at Washington University in St. Louis and spearheaded the university's efforts to become an undiagnosed diseases network site. In the episode, A Diagnostic Odyssey, the UND and Enlorm's roles, he discussed how the undiagnosed diseases network is working towards elevating the awareness of the troubling journey rare disease patients undertake while diagnosing up to a third of patients whose cases are accepted by the UDN. Take a listen. I know that you've been extensively involved in the undiagnosed disease network, and um, I think that's an important thing for our listeners to understand and, you know, with the groundwork that it's laid to help us begin to think about treating some of these patients. You want to just tell us how you got involved with the, with the Undiagnosed Disease Network, which we'll call the UDN to reduce the length of words and, and, and you know, what it does and what's important about what they've accomplished uh, in, this, in this program? Yes, uh, uh, the UDN was conceived by Dr. William Gall at the National Institutes of Health, and he recognized that uh, patients, both babies and children, as well as adults, uh, would benefit greatly from a diagnostic standpoint with the new technology of being able to decipher every bit of gene code in every person who's undiagnosed. And so he took that approach and was very successful for several years uh, running a program that was just at the National Institutes of Health. And then uh, Dr. Francis Collins, then the director of the National Institutes of Health, decided to support the expansion of Dr. Gall's program across the United States. And currently there are 12 clinical sites uh, who evaluate patients who have frequently been, who have been almost always on extensive and prolonged diagnostic odysseys, up to eight, nine, 10, 12 years. And these patients have seen multiple subspecialists at multiple centers, have gone through uh, a whole variety of diagnostic procedures, imaging procedures, uh, blood tests, and still 
while they have objective findings of problems in their hearts or in their brains or in their lungs or in their kidneys, still do not have a unifying diagnosis. And the UDN has really elevated the awareness of these patients, both for the public as well as for uh, insurance companies. In addition, the UDN has helped elevate the awareness of the importance of these uh, patients across the United States. It's estimated that there are 30 million patients with undiagnosed diseases in the United States. And fortunately, the UDN has leveraged uh, uh, subspecialty expertise, integrating the expertise with very advanced state-of-the-art gene deciphering, gene code deciphering strategies, and has been able to make diagnoses in about a quarter to a third of these patients. And so a diagnosis for these patients is a critical step in trying to figure out what to do for the patients. It all, the diagnosis also gives patients access to other rare disease patients with similar diagnoses because they have the same gene problem. And being able to uh, use social media to sort of come together has also been uh, a very uh, important part of what the UDN has done. And uh, the UDN, I think, um, now is uh, has provided Enlorum uh, uh, and other foundations with a group of patients whose specific gene code diagnosis is known, and hopefully that will that knowledge will help Enlorum uh, identify potential strategies for treatment. Luke Rosen is the father of Susanna, who is an eight-year-old Enlorum patient with a KIF-1A mutation. He discusses her scary diagnosis and how it led to their family finding her future doctor, Dr. Wendy Chung. Meanwhile, Dr. Chung gives us a peek into Susanna's awesome support system. Susanna's story was our first interview episode, and a little update for you, Susanna was administered a personalized ASO created by Enlorum in October of 2022. Let's hear from Luke Rosen and Dr. Wendy Chung. You know, quite some time went by until we finally were able to um, hear that she had a, a, a mutation in this gene, KIF1A, and we didn't know what that meant at all. Um, and there was a, a, a moment when I was walking with her up Amsterdam Avenue, and she had, she had very low muscle tone as a baby, um, but her legs shot up like planks and were stiff, and she was scared and crying, and, and that was the real moment where I, I thought something's horribly wrong. Um, and so Sally and I, after we heard uh, the diagnosis, uh, KIF-1A, uh, we didn't know it, it was accompanied by a few research papers that did exist and they were very scary papers to have. They said things like early death and brain atrophy and uh, just these words that were really hard to digest. And I, um, I got this information before 
Sally did because I, you know, and so I, I came home and I, I had this window of time where I, I knew, but Sally didn't know. And I wanted that window of time. So to keep going, cause I knew that what I was just going to have to say to Sally and tell her, um, what I had just found out and show her these papers was going to be, um, and it was, um, quite literally heartbreaking. Um, and then we started researching. We didn't know anything about this. So we started doing our own research and somebody said, you need to find Wendy Chung. We have just an incredible community. Susanna has many, I think of them as angels watching over her besides her family. Um, she's got her service dog, Pippin, who's just, it's amazing. I mean, Pippin's a great for, I think a great therapy dog for Sus in general, but she's got her age, she's got teacher, she's got therapist. I mean, it literally takes an army, um, but even still, there is a team hovering over Susanna 24-7. I kid you not, it really is 24-7 to be able to keep her safe. And um, I have to say, though, on the other hand, Susanna is just a joy. I mean, it is a joy to see the things when she gets to eat an ice cream sundae or celebrate her birthday or be able to go, you know, it's ice skating, but it's Susanna's form of ice skating at this time in terms of being able to go to the beach and just enjoy looking for shells or um, playing hockey or doing a car wash. I mean, it's just, I, I feel like I'm, even though I don't get to spend as much time with Susanna under COVID, I get so many pictures and videos that I get to be a part of the extended family, that it's just, it's that joy that it motivates me and my team to do what we do every day um, because it's, it's allowing kids like Susanna to live their richest, fullest lives. And, and we want to make them actually have those lives. Um, that's the painful part every time we see her take a step back. Andy Marotra is the founder and CEO of Uniper, one of MLORM's data partners. He was featured on Bits and Bytes Help Streamline Bench to Bedside, where he discussed the uniqueness of Enlorum and why he wanted to donate himself and his software to help Enlorum manage its more than 90 patient programs. Let's hear a clip. Yeah, so Enlorum is a phenomenal um, uh, company. I mean, and uh, I say it to your face, but that's what I really believe. And I saw the idea. It reminded me of my thesis uh, that I've submitted. And my thesis was focused on personalized medicines and the advent of biomarkers and how I thought that uh, medicine should become more and more personalized because I believe all of us are not just different on, on the surface, on the outside, we're also different on the inside. And so the medicines that can be tailored uh, to a particular patient, not just the broader stroke of a disease, like they say it, um, could be highly efficacious, produce much better outcome for patients than it would by treating everybody with the same uh, uh, one standard uh, regimen. So in, in Lorem, I saw, at least I, I know other companies um, uh, have gone into rare diseases. And I think this is the next step forward in personalizing the medicines to say, every individual patient has got something unique. And I know if we are focusing in Lorem, focusing on nano-rare patients right now, but I think that's the tip of the iceberg. And as we expand this, this thinking, treating patients as an N of one, which is in Lorem's co uh, core thing, I think this is going to spread and this is going to become really vital. And Uniper uh, has three core focus areas. One is how can we increase the probability of success for the drug programs? 
If the programs are successful and less fail, then that takes care of the total cost of, of a pipeline. That's number one. Number two is how can we reduce the operational costs for running um, uh, clinical trials or studies or what have you, so that the cost of bringing a drug to market becomes uh, becomes uh, uh, lower. And then the third, other than that, um, um, making sure that the cycle time when you're, the drug is moving from one development step to another, how can we shorten that so the drugs can move faster? And one of your goals at, in Lorem is to, after patient acceptance, take the, the journey from discovery to delivery in 15 to 18 months. Well, that's phenomenal. And so I wanted to be a part of that because I thought this company would value R&D productivity. This company is going to value operational excellence. So if I even have to donate my services, it's totally worth it uh, because I would be part of something unique, which is happening for the first time on the planet. So that's really why I, I, I decided to join hands with Enlore. Dr. Emil Kakis is the Chief Executive Officer, President, and Director of Ultragenics, a biopharmaceutical company focused on the development and commercialization of novel products for serious, rare, and ultra-rare genetic diseases. Emil's commitment to rare diseases is evident. He established the Every Life Foundation for Rare Diseases that is leading the charge for impactful, science-driven legislation and policy to advance the equitable development of access to life-saving diagnoses, treatments, and cures. In these clips from Shifting Mindsets to Expedite Rare Treatments, Emil discusses the Every Life Foundation's initiative to bring rare disease advocates and patients to meet with congressmen and women on Capitol Hill, as well as a unique program, Ultragenics pioneered the Ultragenics Rare Bootcamp. If, if you were to pick one thing that Every Life did that you're really proud of, what would, what it, would it be? I think it's gathering together the rare disease community truly during rare disease week where we actually bring hundreds of people together from all different segments we and help all of them actually find a common vision and a common voice. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we've been has been most important mm -hmm. because they then don't feel alone. They feel empowered and rejuvenated and I think it propagates across the country. So I think it's bringing the whole community together has been really important and in that enabling and empowering them to actually take action on behalf of their disease area. Yeah, that's very much what this podcast series is about for the even less, even more poorly served or non-served and, and N of one people literally don't have anyone to talk to. And, and, and again, I think that's a matter of providing a forum, a place to be heard, but also a place to be taught because certainly my experience is that parents and patients are doing remarkable things with no training. What could they do if they had some training? Mm -hmm. And I know you've thought a lot about that too. And, uh, and at, at Ultragenics, you have a, what you call a boot camp, uh, which I spoke at this year. But uh, why don't you tell our folks about what that is and how that's, how that's working? Well, one of the philosophies underpinning Ultragenics as a rare disease company was that we would use our knowledge to help everyone around us do work on their disease. With the idea that we won't work on every disease, but we can help others be successful. 
that involved a lot of individual one-on-one consulting. And uh, with time, Yael Weiss, one of our employees, felt that we could be even more effective by grouping together some people and creating a boot camp, a several-day in-person a place where a small group of selected family foundations or small nonprofits could come with their drug development questions and get trained and insight from experts in the field and build camaraderie among themselves as well as make relationships with others that would help advance the development of treatments for their care. And the boot camp followed, follows up with some consulting and help that we do pro bono for um, families. And we think it's the kind of camaraderie and shared ecosystem to solve rare disease. It's an important part of being a rare disease company. This next clip is from one of our most popular episodes ever, coming together for the nano rare patient. When Dr. Stan Crook ran Ionis and Dr. John Maraginori ran Anilum, they were partners that turned into rivals and not always friendly ones, as they dedicated to pursue an entirely new therapeutic space of RNA-targeted drug discovery and development. Since then, the two drug discovery titans have set aside their differences and come together for one reason, helping patients. And so we did all, all kinds of great stuff together, and then we had a couple of drugs that were directly competitive. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we discovered uh, that we're both uh, really competitive. Oh, surprise. Uh, and we had a falling out. Uh, yeah. And, um, and um, you know, and each of us has his own perspective about that. But we didn't talk to each other for, for a few years. Um, right. And as I thought about the patients that we're trying to serve at Enlarm, I realized that I need all the help I could get. You could be an incredibly helpful uh, person for these patients. And, and it made no sense to hang on to whatever bitterness I felt. And, but I was very, very worried uh, when I wrote that email to you asking you if you'd like to talk and you were immediately gracious. Um, so I, I know how it felt from my end. What about you? <laughs> I'll tell you, Stan, I, I, I never, ever, um, stopped admiring, uh, you, um, and, and you know that. And I also was watching the Enlorm story from, from afar, from the East coast and really thought it was powerful. Um, you know, in the Talmud, there's a phrase, uh, whoever saves a single life saves the whole world. And it's a phrase that really comes to mind when I think about what you did in this new effort with Enlorum, because the power of, 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 of treating just a single patient with the disease, with the technology that can address it, is just, is just awe-inspiring. And, and, and so I was seeing all this and I was excited about what you were doing. So when you reached out, I, 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 I was so happy to respond and and um, and get back to you. And listen, when 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 we had this competitive period of two three years together, um, you know, we ultimately got back together. To to me, it reminded me of a big brother and a and a younger brother. They get a fight at the they get into a fight, and but they still come together at the end because they're family. And I really felt the same way as uh, we've now been working together on in Laurel. 
Well, I think we did come together uh, around a family and the family is the nanorare patient. It's the yeah, people that, exactly. And, and in the end, it's vital to these patients that the two of us participate in this because we're the yeah. people who created this opportunity. And so it was certainly, well, I'm, I'm embarrassed that I waited as long as I did. And you've been uh, just extraordinarily helpful already. And, 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 and so um, why don't we spend some time now talking about Enlorum and the patients yeah. and, 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 the, and the model that, that we're, we're, we're proceeding with, which is a nonprofit model and, and how do you see all that potentially unfolding? Yeah. Well, listen, I think, I think the, the, starting with the, 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 the power of the technology, the antisense technology and, and maybe other technologies that come into it in the future, but being able to um, selectively design a medicine for uh, a, a patient uh, or a small, very small group of patients with a very discrete um, genetic uh, defect is um, incredibly powerful. Being able to deliver that, achieve a, a desired therapeutic effect, do it safely, and then on top of it, have the regulatory framework, the, the framework from the FDA that enables all that. That's not trivial. Um, you know, the FDA obviously had to think a lot about how does it enable the advancement of these type of medicines for, for patients. So one aspect of it to me is the technology, which is really impressive and, and the regulatory framework for the technology. The other aspect of it is really, the, the, of course, the patient and the ability of giving hope to a patient with a nano rare disease and a family that surrounds that patient as well. And then frankly, the generations um, of, of other patients with nano rare diseases who can see what we can do one patient at a time. It is a very powerful thing. And it really does go back to that Talmudic um, quotation that I gave a moment ago about how you can really save um, a, a world by virtue of saving just one life. Anna's story of hope and help focuses on a young girl with a mutation in the FUS gene, causing an aggressive form of ALS. Her mother, Sonia, and physician, Dr. Neil Snyder, discuss Anna's journey and how she benefited from an identical set of twins named Alex and JC, who possessed the same mutation as Anna. JC was the first patient treated with the JSA fusion, which is named in her honor. Uh, what was also horrible was that uh, we saw her uh, suffering, getting weaker and weaker, and no one had any idea. Well, we went to see lots and lots and lots of um, doctors. No one had any idea what this could be. Yeah, uh, No one thought uh, about ALS um, because ALS is not a, a, a disease of a 16, 15, 16-year-old 16 uh, person. JC Hermstead um, was my patient and um, Jason Fusen is, is named in, in her honor. Um, you know, this is a remarkable family that's um, been, you know, horribly affected by, by this disease. Alex, as you said, was uh, 11, 12 years old at onset. Um, and she was um, kept alive on a ventilator for a number of years and ultimately uh, came, uh, succumbed to her disease at age 17, uh, Anna's age now. Um, and uh, JC, her sister, uh, 
lived um, without symptoms until she was 24 years old. Um, and there, why there was a 12-year difference, you know, identical twins with the same mutation, de novo, again, spontaneous mutation, um, why, why it, it took an additional 12 years um, for JC to become symptomatic is one of the great you know, questions, big questions that we would love to understand because it speaks to the trigger events, right? It's not enough just to have the genetic mutation. There's a second event of some kind that, that triggers the onset of the, of the disease. Why, why did Anna live for 15 years with this mutation and not have uh, motor neuron disease, right? What, there, there's some second event, some second hit, if you will, that, that, that triggers the disease onset. And we very much would like to understand um, what this is. Um, we also don't care in a sense that um, whatever that event is, we would like to intervene before that event happens, right? In the future, if we can identify these mutations early um, and, and reduce people's risk of onset using the same kind of technologies, the same antisense therapeutics that we're using in the symptomatic affected individuals, I, we think you know, we could maybe uh, influence that, 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 that onset event. So J, JC was the first. Uh, um, the, the therapeutic was developed with her in mind. At, uh, uh, her disease onset prompted uh, our initial approach to, to uh, Frank Bennett and Ionis um, about this uh, um, as a potential therapeutic strategy for our patient. Uh, the first um, FDA program, expanded access, uh, investigational new drug uh, protocol was written for JC. And she was the first, um, assuming all of the risks and, um, and, uh, and, and potential problems associated with a therapeutic that had never before been given to a human being. Um, so Anna benefited from JC's um, courage and, uh, and, and sacrifice and, and a number of, a small number of, of other uh, patients who were treated with JC Fusen before Anna. Um, and what's been lovely, uh, and Sonia has met Lori, uh, met or spoken to, to, to Lori, JC and Alex's mom. Um, and there's a community, you know, of people that um, has um, gathered around this problem. Manish Rezangani is the CEO of Target ALS, a nonprofit medical research foundation committed to the search for effective treatments for ALS. In this episode, fostering collaborations to fight ALS, Manish discussed Target ALS's desire to accelerate research for nano-rare forms of ALS and how treating a single patient can help the entire ALS community. Let's hear the clip. And as I understand it, uh, you and Dan Doctoroff are in the process of raising a, a much larger fund that should allow expansion of the effort broadly, but also with regard to the extremely rare forms of ALS that we're interested in helping in, in Lorem. Uh, very much so. All, all the credit goes to Dan and his uh, vision to found a, a Target ALS, but also his commitment to scale up the ability of target ALS to impact the research. We are committed, as I said, our mission is to find treatments for all forms of ALS and treatment of ultra-rare forms of ALS is a 
major component of our sort of what we call the seven pillar strategy that we have moving forward. So I expect that starting next year, the community will see a much larger commitment from Target ALS to accelerate the efforts. And always, as you said, the key word is to collaborate and accelerate. Those are the operative words when it comes to our efforts to working with you as well. Well, we very much look forward to that. And right now we're working on one patient. Even that is an extraordinary event in the history of drug discovery that two organizations would come together to focus on helping a single patient. Do you want to tell us about that? One could say it's a single patient, but it's not a single person being affected because each person is connected to so many others. And to me, that is the sort of gratifying takeaway that I get from that and is the amazing feeling of uh, if one could treat even one person, I think that's a crack in the glass ceiling, if you will, for ALS patient community. And I think it goes far beyond that, the ripple effect, because it's the lessons learned from that one study can have a far wider impact. And that's how we see this effort is that by treating multiple, let's say, ultra rare forms of ALS, the lessons learned could certainly, and we hope will point in a direction that will be applicable to the more common forms of ALS. Obviously, 90% of the cases are sporadic. In the end, there are some common final pathways. And if we can identify those by working on these familial forms, I think we may find those answers that we are all seeking. Next up is a passionate clip from the episode, Everybody Lives. Dan Doctoroff is the former New York City Deputy Mayor for Economics and former CEO of both Bloomberg LP and Sidewalk Labs. Dan's family has a history of ALS, and after ALS took the lives of his father and uncle, he founded Target ALS in 2013 to fund research into this terrible degenerative and fatal disease. When Dan himself was diagnosed with ALS in 2021, he made it his mission to bolster target ALS to fight for the lives of every ALS patient. When I was diagnosed, I said, you know, look, my last mission, if you will, um, is to dramatically scale up target ALS. So I said, without knowing whether I could do this, um, that I wanted to raise $250 million for target ALS. Uh, I started in May, I've made great progress. Um, and I'm, I think I'll get there. The people I know have been incredibly responsive. Um, and so I'm, I got a lot of work to do still, but uh, you know, we, we've developed a strategy. Um, it's got seven pillars to it. One of them is, to address every single patient, rare forms of ALS. And obviously we have a partnership with you and, and, and Lorem to do that. You know, there are genetic mutations for ALS. There's 31 genetic mutations that have already discovered. Some have less than 50 patients in the world. And we believe that every single patient should be able to live um, with this disease. And that's what we, uh, our mission is. Everybody lives. Yes. And partnerships with you um, will help us actually achieve that. That's great. And I think we probably close on, on, our, and, and on our relationship, which really began just this year and was, um, I'm, I really don't 
know for sure how it all got together, but with Neil Schneider at Columbia and and Manish and you and and then we chatting and Lorem obviously were committed treating every patient, you know, irrespective of of the mutation or or the number of patients. And so, you know, right now I think we're 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 treating together one patient, yeah. but that one patient is really an important test. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And and you know, hopefully we will expand that dramatically. We have so much respect for you, um, what you've done in your pharmaceutical career, but really what you're doing today. You didn't have to do that, um, but um, you believe too that everybody deserves hope and you are providing that. And we wanna be incredibly supportive of, of what Enlorem and you are doing um, because you know we can't just um, focus on you know familiar forms of the disease. We need to expand that dramatically to rather random or sporadic, but also the rare forms of the disease. And uh, we're just really proud to be your partner in this effort. Parexcel is one of the world's largest clinical research organization and happens to be one of our proud partners. One of the ways they support nanorare patients is by helping Enlorem file investigational new drug applications, which is a critical step for treatment. Parexcel CEO Jamie McDonald was featured in CROs and their role for nanorare, where he explained how Parexcel became involved with rare disease and why the organization chose to play a role in Enlorem's mission to treat nanorare patients for free for life. I, I think it fits with the mission. Obviously, we're a commercial organization. I, I think we do work. We we are here to basically serve our investors and board. But I think sometimes you, you, you have another mission, which for us is, is really to understand how we can better serve patients. And, and I think the work that you're doing just sort of highlighted our, our sort of patient first mentality and, and our sort of we care approach. And it's been quite interesting. We, we run hundreds of, of trials globally for a wide swath of the industry, if you want to call it that. But we internally get a lot of really positive feedback for the, for the work we do with Enlorem. It becomes quite personal for not just the team that's working with your team, but I think the wider Parexcel organization appreciates that we're working with you to, to bring clinical trial options to patients that might not otherwise be served by the industry. And I think that's really good work. We do good work all of the time in terms of important work. But I think when we can do it in a way that it, it might not otherwise get done, I think that's rewarding for us and, and our teams, not just the ones working with Dan Lauren. Yeah, that's very nice to hear. I think we are simply a tangible expression of the heart of our industry. Agreed. And, and uh, our partnership with, with Paracel is vital to our ability to meet our mission. And um, as you know, in, in uh, somewhere around two weeks in September here, we filed four INDs. INDs are the documents that you have to provide to the FDA to gain approval to expose a patient of any sort to an experimental agent. Um, and uh, we've been working with your team to be sure we were ready to take good care of those patients 
and to acquire all the knowledge that we could acquire as as we treat those patients. And uh, 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 I know it was exciting for us. I imagine it was pretty exciting at Paracel too, wasn't it? Yeah, very much. And we and we we share that news with the organization. It's, it's something to be very proud of. Um, it's a complicated process, as as you've said. An IND takes a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. Um, our teams work well together. So I, I think on our side, obviously, Angela is, is, is really a great resource. But yourself and Sarah on the, and Lauren's side have worked well together. Um, the process that you have for identifying patients that you could potentially treat is, 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 is thorough and robust. And I think that's important as well. But it includes stakeholders on the manufacturing side. I think the, the agency has been very supportive from what we have seen. Um, and it's nice when it, it sort of comes together. It, it's very rare that you see that number of stakeholders that well aligned on a particular mission to support um, not to just the patients for us. I think it's an extension to the family and the caregivers and others. This is potentially life-changing for the patient, but, but for their own family and uh, their own ecosystem. And that's really rewarding work from a uh, just a, an emotional uh, standpoint. It, it's, if you can't be empathetic in this industry, you're, you're probably in the wrong industry. Joe Gleason is the N. Lorem Chief Medical Officer, Rady Professor of Neuroscience and Pediatrics at UC San Diego, and the Director of Neuroscience at Rady Children's Institute. Dr. Gleason joined the show in the early days of the Patient Empowerment Program and specifically in the episode, Clinical Trials for One Patient. To discuss why on top of his already busy schedule, he wanted to be part of NLORM's mission as the CMO and serve the NanoRare community. Well, um, of course, I, I very much appreciate the fact that given how busy you are and how many different hats you wear, that you've chosen to join NLORM as Chief Medical Officer. And, uh, I, you know, I think most folks know now who are tuning in that NLORM's mission is to take advantage of the technology that was created under my leadership, uh, ASO technology, to provide uh, personalized medicines, uh, ASO medicines, for patients with these nano-rare diseases, N of one kinds of patients, for free for life. But I'm uh, anxious to hear why... It, Given all the opportunities you have to, uh, for ways to spend your time, why invest in NLORM as you have? It's in my gut. I feel this is the way to go. <clears throat> I spent the first uh, 10 years of my career training in medicine, the next 10 years developing ways to diagnose patients with genomics, and, uh, but, but none of it has led to therapy, meaningful therapy, I feel. And I was at a talk a couple of years ago, uh, a Gordon conference, where the leaders in genetics were there. And um, we heard about this amazing drug for uh, spinal muscular atrophy. And that just opened a lot of eyes, like, wow, there's a therapy for this now. And this was, of course, developed at Ionis. And um, one of the audience members was an employee of Ionis. And I asked him, why don't we just personalize these drugs for people, uh, for, for all these mutations that we have? And I think back on that moment, for me it was uh, an eye-opening experience to think about how all this data and genetics we've been compiling for the last 10 years could be applied towards therapy. I can't think of a more exciting area of medicine. To me, I, I'm, 
I'm completely in. I'm really excited with the patients that we have enrolled. I am very excited every time I get to talk to a physician that has a patient that they'd like to nominate. Yeah. And I think the outcome, we don't know. It's a, it's a giant experiment. We hope that the patients respond in the ways that we expect them to, but we're going to learn a tremendous amount. The patients are our partners in this, you know. Wendy Erler is the Vice President and Global Head of Patient Experience, Advocacy, and Patient Insights for Lexion AstraZeneca Rare Disease. She has experience with every major platform for drug discovery and has always ensured that a patient's voice is clearly heard. Wendy was featured in the episode Advocating for Rare Patients, where she discussed the importance of building infrastructure for nano-rare and empowering community of patients, families, and supporters. And you know, Stan, as I hear you speak, I think so much of this is fundamental to human interaction, right? We're really talking about a relationship building business. We're talking about listening and learning. Um, I had a woman reach out to me a couple years ago and I'm not sure how she got to me even. And her daughter was diagnosed with an ultra rare disease. And they you know, went through that trajectory of shock and grief and, and confusion and very quickly got to the place of, we need to understand this, we need to invest in research, we need to look at drug development. You know, when you engage with people like that and, and so much of the responsibility sits on their shoulders, how can we alleviate some of that? How can we break down some of those barriers? It's a whole new language and a whole new process of fundamentally trying to get make connections in academic institutions or with regulators. And so I, I think it's a little bit of a relationship business and how can we help people make those connections and break down those silos. And the other thing that I'm so impressed with, and Lauren, and I'm interested to hear you talk about industrialization because the way I think about it too is we're organized to deliver the results we get. And by that, I mean, if you don't have the infrastructure to work fast and to get answers and to you know, figure out the compliant legal way to get things done, we're just gonna to continue to do things the way we always have. And you're building an organization that's knocking that all away and enabling this very rigorous research to move quickly. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And I've been so tremendously impressed with the people I've met who have no training of any sort in the, in the sciences, not, not a bit, who managed to learn so much and, and ask the right question, which is always the test of whether you understand something. And I'm hoping that both, both the interviews that we're doing and the podcast series and the, and the sort of lectures that build from the basics on up will really help people shorten the time and energy they have to invest in learning how to, how to think about this so they can focus on themselves if they're the patient or they can focus on their child if their child is the patient. And, um, and, and so we're working at it and there's just not enough of us and not enough time every day to make the kind of differences that we'd like. But, but over time, I think we're going to do that. And you're building community and I think that there's a support network too just in having a place for people to be heard that's so important yeah i was stunned at the isolation of the nanorare patient they just there is no community if you're the only person who has a mutation and so i i do think one of the functions that we're taking on at enlorm is that creation of a community of 
nanorare patients, even though they may not share the same mutation, they share the same challenges to life and to the and to a family that comes yeah. with all this. That's it for this one-year anniversary edition of the Patient Empowerment Program. It has been such an amazing first year, and we look forward to providing you with more informative and inspiring content in the near future. Our goal for this series was to empower and educate our patients and others interested by providing a basic understanding of health, disease, and treatments through interviews and intro to medical science episodes, and in doing so, build a nano-rare community. So thank you so much for being a part of our community and for supporting Enlorum and the show. I'm Kira Deneen, and we'll see you next time on the Patient Empowerment Program. Enlorum is a nonprofit committed to discovering and providing personalized experimental treatments for free for life to patients with genetic diseases that affect one to 30 patients worldwide referred to by Enlorum as nano-rare. Many of these patients progress and die without ever achieving a diagnosis. This is where Enlorum comes in. They do the impossible by providing hope and for those that they can help, free lifetime treatment. For more information about Enlorum or today's episode, visit enlorum.org. Any questions can be sent into podcast at enlorum.org. Search Enlorum on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook to connect with us. Please rate and review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This truly helps us climb the charts and allows others to find the show. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Stan Crook. Our videographer is John Magnuson of Mighty One Productions. Our producers are John Magnuson and Kira Deneen of DNA Today. Thank you for listening.